Hello, this is Nigel Craig on a bright March morning. Uh, I haven't done a podcast for some time, uh, so I thought I might have a go at uh, recording a few of the sermons that I've recently been uh, sharing in Belmont Presbyterian on the Ten Commandments. Uh, So here we go. Uh, Number one, uh, an introduction to the Ten Commandments. English writer, broadcaster, actor and former MP Giles Brandreth recently reflected on some Christmas traditions preserved by his family over the generations. Board games, parlour games and recitations have all been standard fare in the Brandreth household. At the conclusion of his short piece entitled By Heart, he wrote, I don't need any material presents this Christmas. I've got enough pairs of socks to see me out. Instead, I've asked each one of my seven grandchildren to learn a poem by heart so that after Christmas Day lunch, they can stand in front of the Christmas tree and perform it to the rest of the family. Practice of learning poetry by heart seems to have missed my generation. Alas, it wasn't in vogue within education in the 1990s and the 1980s. Perhaps it is now. Learning scripture by heart, however, was standard practice in my childhood. I think this practice needs to make a return in our churches. Now imagine that you too learnt by heart scripture, catechisms and hymns. When teaching the faith to the young, the historic approach has been to focus on three items. The catechism or creed, that is what we believe. The Lord's Prayer, how we should worship. And the Ten Commandments, how we should live the Christian life. It was expected that these should be known by heart. In my preaching thus far in Belmont, I've covered the Lord's Prayer. I've been slowly making my way through the shorter catechism. But for now, I'd like to address the Ten Commandments. That is the ethical basis for Christian living. Now, whilst it's helpful to learn the commandments by heart, it's more important if we can live them by heart. That is, from the heart. Um, I'm going to attempt to give an introduction to the Ten Commandments in this podcast and in the following one. And I would like to cover uh, these areas. First of all, the place of the Ten Commandments in what we call salvation history. The place of the Ten Commandments in the Christian life. The place of the Ten Commandments in society. And then the place of the Ten Commandments with the heart or indeed the place of the heart. First of all, the place of the Ten Commandments in salvation history. You probably know that the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Having said that, the whole of the Torah or the Mosaic law or teaching is an elaborate fleshing out of these foundational laws. This is also the case in the ethical teaching of the New Testament. A good place to start in our exploration of the Ten Commandments is with the preface. Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice the phrase, and God spoke. The first thing that we note is that these commandments are divine in origin rather than human in composition. Now this ought to colour our approach to their study. 
unlike the laws of Westminster, Stormont or Brussels, these cannot be challenged or overturned. But what God are we speaking about here? There have been many claimants to that title. Well, in verse 2 we read, I am the Lord your God. That is Jehovah or Yahweh, the living, only, true and creator God, who made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, Isaac, Jacob and his twelve sons, and all who came after them. We also read in verse 2 that he is the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Abraham's descendants ended up migrating to Egypt from Canaan under Joseph's premiership where they lived for many years. And this brings the book of Genesis to a close. However, a few centuries later, as the number of Israelites increased, they fell out of favour. The Pharaoh at that time turned against them and used them as slaves to build his cities. God then called Moses from the burning bush. Moses eventually led the Hebrews out of Egypt following ten disastrous plagues, the last of which was the death of the firstborn at the hand of the Lord's angel. The Israelites were protected from the angel of death by the sacrifice of a choice lamb on the first Passover and the painting of its blood on their doorposts. In haste, the Israelites left Egypt following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, miraculously, crossing the Red Sea, feeding on manna, drinking water from the rock, until they finally reached the foot of Mount Sinai, or Horeb. As Israel encamped, Moses ascended the holy mountain, where the Lord spoke to him. Exodus 19, 4-6 You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The Lord had a special relationship with his people. A covenant. In the ancient world, a covenant was an agreement made between a stronger nation and a weaker nation. The stronger nation would do something for the weaker nation, for example, protect it from its enemies. The weaker nation, in turn, would have responsibilities. For example, it would do what the stronger nation requested. God, the stronger party, had rescued the people of Israel. He carried them in eagles' wings and now expected their loyalty and service in return. He expected them to keep his laws. God, as we know, is holy, without sin, distinct and set apart. Therefore, he expected his people to be holy, to be different from the nations around them, obeying his voice and keeping his covenant. In this way, they would live up to their calling to be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now in chapter 20 of Exodus, we see how God provided a way for his people to be holy, to obey his voice, to keep his covenant, and that is to be found in the Ten Commandments. This is an act of God's kindness after all. What other nations have been given his law? Psalm 147 and verse 20. So let me summarise The teaching of the preface to the Ten Commandments. First of all, God chooses 
or he elects a people to be his own, the descendants of Abraham. I am the Lord, your God. He brings his people from slavery to freedom. We see that in Exodus 1 and verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. And as a holy God he expects his people to be holy. And then fourthly he gives them his law summarised in the Ten Commandments. Now some of you I know enjoy baking. It's really important that you do things in the right order. Before you make, for example, a Christmas cake, you begin by steeping the fruit in something strong, like schlur or port. I imagine you will then blend it with the rest of the mixture before putting it in the oven for a few hours. Only after the cake has been brought out of the oven and left to cool do you think of adding the marzipan and the icing. It would be crazy to mix the marzipan or the icing into the mixture and then to put it into the oven. Or to pour the alcohol over the cake once it comes out of the oven. Getting the order of things right in life is very important. And so it is with the Ten Commandments and their place in our lives. Unfortunately today, there are many people who get this order wrong. They sometimes imagine that to be a Christian, one must obey the Ten Commandments, or at least make a good stab at them, as a way of earning God's favour. But the Ten Commandments were given by God to his chosen people, whom he had already rescued out of slavery and brought into freedom. God's favour was already on his people. His grace had already been shown to them in his rescue of them. So the Ten Commandments were set out as a response to God's gracious favour, not as a prerequisite to earning that favour. So let's get the order right here for ourselves. God chooses or God elects a people to be his own. As with God's people in the past, the Christian believer can say that he or she has been elected and chosen. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I can't actually understand why people come to these words of Paul. Sorry, I was inter- uh, interrupted by the telephone there. I can't understand why people come to these words with conflict in their attitudes rather than comfort in their hearts. The theme of God's election runs throughout the Old Testament. It's not just peculiar to Paul. In fact, it's proclaimed by Jesus Christ himself and affirmed by the apostles. As with Israel in the past, God has chosen his people, the church, not because we were good or had lots going for us, but rather the very opposite was the case. We had sinned and fallen short of his glory and we were under his sentence. That's why the Apostle Paul writes here that he chose us in love. 
and to the praise of his glorious grace. So we get the order right. First of all, God chooses or elects a people to be his own. Then he brings his people out of slavery into freedom. Having chosen us, God sets about rescuing his people. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So how did God redeem us? That is, how did he buy us out of slavery? The answer that's given here in Ephesians 1 is through his blood. That is through the death on the cross of Jesus Christ. Just as the Israelites were spared God's judgment by the blood of the Passover lambs, so too we are set free by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus also rescues us from slavery to the devil, our spiritual pharaoh, who's described as the God of this world, who has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. He's described as the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 and 1, and he has captured people to do his will, 2 Timothy 2, 24. Christ disarmed the devil along with the demonic rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Colossians 2 and 15. He is Christus Victor, Christ the victor. He is the new and greater Moses. Now, having been rescued from sin, Satan and death, God, the Holy One, wants us to live lives that are holy too. Lives that reflect his character. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. But what does holiness look like? The Ten Commandments are the guide. The Shorter Catechism 44 asks, what does the preface to the commandment teach us? The preface to the Ten Commandments teaches us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. The larger, the larger Catechism 101 gives a fuller answer. In the preface, he shows that he is a God in covenant as with Israel of old, so with his people now. As he brought them out of their spiritual slavery in Egypt, so he delivers us from our spiritual servitude. Therefore, we are bound to take him for our God alone and to keep all his commandments. There are many Christians who do not agree with the Catechism's assertion. That, and I quote, we are bound to keep all his commandments. We are under grace, not under law, they say. Well, I hope to address that matter in the next podcast, where we will see that the manner in which we are no under law and the manner in which we are under law. In the next podcast, I also hope to examine how we are to keep his commandments. Do you think that God would go to all the trouble of choosing us, redeeming us by the death of Christ, calling us to be holy, only to leave us floundering to get on with keeping the commandments outwardly and also internally? Thankfully, there is good news to share. News of a new heart and the indwelling spirit of Christ. A few years ago, uh, a couple of us went to hear the personal story of a former US soldier who was part of the 6th Armoured Division of the US Army that liberated the 
Buchenwald concentration camp in April 1945. The inmates of Buchenwald were the first on German soil to be liberated from the Nazis. Imagine if the soldiers, having liberated the inmates, left them to fend for themselves, to find food and to make their way in a new life. That would be intolerable. Redeemers do more than break chains and open doors. They feed and they lead their people to a new life. Do you think Christ will leave us to fend for ourselves? Let me conclude by quoting from that great Dutch Reformed theologian of the 19th century, Herman Bavink. I'm quoting here from his fourth volume. Christ is our holiness in the same sense in which he is our righteousness. He is a complete and all-sufficient saviour. He does not accomplish his work halfway, but saves us really and completely. He does not rest until after pronouncing his acquittal in our conscience. He has also imparted full holiness and glory to us. By his righteousness, accordingly, he does not just restore us to the state of the just. He does not just restore us to the state of the just who will go scot-free in the judgment of God in order to leave us to ourselves, to reform ourselves after God's image and to merit eternal life. But Christ has accomplished everything. Christ has accomplished everything. And so may you, chosen and redeemed in Christ, know the power of his Holy Spirit, that you may obey his commandments to the glory of God. Amen.